0: Villa's Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go, to know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. We continue our sermon series. We are going through verse by verse the whole book of John, the Gospel of John, and that tagline that we are associating with this book is, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we gather together this morning to worship you. That is the purpose of our service. We do this both by singing songs, praising your name, and we also do this by opening your word. As we do that now, Lord, I pray that we allow your spirit to illuminate the text in such a way that we are convicted, but convicted in a way to lead ourselves back to you. We follow the lead that you have set before us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I remember when we first moved here to Fort Myers, a man who was loosely associated with the church that brought us here. In fact, just so you know a little history, the church that did bring us here to Fort Myers was a grace church, part of the Caris Fellowship. In fact, the men who started that church came from this very church here, so it's a little ironic that we ended up back at the original church, but there was a man who was loosely associated with this church, and he was trying dogmatically, and, and the reason probably being, it wasn't because I was a full-time pastor, I was a bivocational pastor, I was working in a barbershop much like I do now, but I was in the shop, and I remember him coming in and getting haircuts and just really trying so hard to recruit me to join his networking group. And for those of you that don't know what a networking group, it, it's simply this. his man, he was a small business owner. or He was trying to, to be as such. But this is the definition of a networking group. It is business networking groups are or organizations that aim to bring together business people. See, we didn't move here, though, for personal business. And that was really the fundamental problem. So every time he came to me to talk to me about joining his networking group, I always had to give him a no. We didn't move to Fort Myers for a personal business. I didn't come down here with my family from north central Indiana to gain wealth and prosperity through my own personal business. No, we moved here for our father's business. I mean, I get it though, networking groups are convenient, they are a wonderful tool for growing commerce, so I don't want you to think I'm dogging or trashing networking groups, no, there is a time and place for networking groups, however, as for as wonderful as they are, networking groups do not belong in the church. I remember a day when it was imperative though, I mean, I'm being dead serious when I say this, that one should be a member of a church at least to, you know, round out their obituary resume, or, you know, plain flat out, just be part of a church in order to network, to be able to rub shoulders with certain individuals in order to be able to do business. Yes, there are people who do go to church just for those reasons. Brothers and sisters, these tactics are nothing new. They are absolutely nothing new because these tactics have been going on since before this world knew who Jesus was. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, Den of Thieves, Den of Thieves. Today we're going to be in John, as we have already stated, but specifically we're going to be in chapter 2, looking at verses 12 through 17. Last week, Pastor Jared preached about Jesus' first miracle. We were encouraged to know that Jesus' miracles always had an eternal purpose. Therefore, every single miracle of Jesus was intended to Put somebody in the position to believe, to have faith in him and come to eternal salvation. Today, we're leaving the wedding party that was discussed last week and we're heading to Capernaum and then to Jerusalem where Jesus will put his zeal on full display. You're going to get used to hearing that word zeal and his zeal for his father's house, which is the temple where the money changers were And they were there to take advantage of the temple from a great distance, bringing along foreign currency with them, because that's what happened, that's what we're going to be seeing today. We're going to be seeing these money changers taking advantage of these Jews coming to the temple in order to worship. And they had to worship through sacrifice, but they were coming such a great distance, they had to exchange their foreign currency to the Jewish coin of the day in order to be able to purchase the animals in which they needed to sacrifice because they didn't want to carry those animals with them. They had to travel so far. But the problem that we see in this text is that these money changers in the temple were actually taking advantage of the Jews when they were just simply coming to worship the Lord. They were charging them an interest or a percentage on the money that they traded over. So, when we just continue to see this in the text this morning, we need to understand what we're really seeing. And we're obviously seeing what you see on your screen right now. We're seeing a din from God because Jesus cleared the way. So as we look at verses 12 and 13, we see the phrase that starts everything off and it says, after this. Now this is used eight times in the gospel of John notes, a narrative section that is going to change. It denotes a new narrative. So we went from the first miracle, the wine being turned into wine from water. Now we're going into a new narrative. Basically, after Jesus performed this first miracle, he went down to Capernaum as it says. Now, verse 12 has some theological significance. It really, truly does. Because there's some religions in this world who actually kind of like forget to read this verse if you ask me. So who did Jesus go with? That's really the question we should be asking when we, when, we, when we see this here in verse 12. Who did he go with? It says he went with his mother, he went with his brothers, and who else did he go with? He went with his disciples. So contrary to some theological perspectives, Mary did not remain a virgin. Because it would have said Jesus just went down with his brothers. Because they would have just assumed that they came to a saving faith and those were his brothers in faith. But that's not really what's happening here. Because it also says he went with his disciples. It would have just said that Jesus went with his disciples or it would have just said Jesus went with his brothers. But because it distinguishes between brothers and disciples, we therefore know that Mary did in fact have children after Jesus because there are some religions, as I have just stated, that believe Mary remained a virgin the rest of her life and never had any more children. But we can see from a verse like this and amongst other verses in the Bible that that is not True. Now, Jesus went to the Passover of the Jews in Jerusalem, as it says. See, this was a week-long event that centered on a feast. The feast included the eating of the Passover lamb. Hence, we already discussed how these Jews traveled a long distance and they had to carry their sacrifice with them. They weren't going to do that, were they? So they were going to purchase the ready-made sacrifices there for them when they arrived. And this commemorated the passing of the death over the Israelites while in, Jer- in Egypt. That was the Passover lamb. So many Jews were traveling that great distance and that's where we set everything up to see what we're gonna to see today. And they had to go all the way to Jerusalem and then partake in the Passover of the Jews. And I would beg to say this right now, I, I can smell a network group eating its heart out knowing about this. Now we're not talking a modern day networking group. We're talking about a networking group 2,000 years old. So as we observe verse 14 and move on, it seems as though someone within the Jewish networking group got the memo. Because what does it say right here? It says, he found those who were selling oxen, sheep, and doves. Now, the he in being Jesus. So we must remember these Jews had traveled that great distance, and they were unable to travel with those necessary sacrifices. So they really needed Not only for their currency to be exchanged, but they also needed to be able to purchase the sacrifices once they got to the temple. And this is where the money changers come in. So let's back up for just one second here. And we did say that networking groups weren't necessarily bad. So we did kind of get that you know, straight. We, we said they're, they're not bad as long as they're outside the church, but we don't want the networking groups to now come into the ter- church. So it's just that they were not belonging in the temple and therefore they don't belong in the church as well. So where we are at this point in this narrative is at the beginning of verse 14. And, and, and it really, we can see the correlation here because we can say that the temple and the church are the same because what does it say here in 14? Within the temple grounds. Networking group not bad outside the temple grounds. Networking group inside the temple grounds, bad. Networking group outside the church, not bad. Networking group within within the church is bad. That's where we're at. And that's where we start seeing Jesus and his zeal come into play. This is the same as having that networking group in the church. Jesus, as it says, found the money changers seated at their tables. The Jews who traveled a great distance were being charged a percentage to exchange their currency. The Jews who traveled a great distance to participate in the Passover of the Jews walked into an ambush. Think about that. They just want to go worship the Lord. But in order to worship the Lord, they had to walk into this ambush and be taken advantage of. They walked into a den of thieves. Now, let's observe the phrase where it says, He found. Let's let's take a look at that again. See, this is connected to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. This will be on your screen. I'll also read it for you. Behold, I am sending my messenger, and he will clear a way before me. And the Lord whom you are seeking will suddenly come to His temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, He is coming, says the Lord of armies. True to many Old Testament prophecies, this one has a double fulfillment. This is partially fulfilled in Jesus' first coming and it will be completely fulfilled in Jesus' second coming. However, here we are right now at His first coming, which today is the focus. Therefore, as it says... He will clear a way before me, and the Lord whom you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. We, we know in his second coming, he comes back like a thief in the night. We know that he caught the money changers by surprise when he came to the temple the first time. See Now, let's go back to verses 14 and 15. What does it say here in verse 15? He clears away. This this has already been predicted in Malachi 3.1, which we just read. This is accomplished, as it says, because he made a whip of cords and then he drove them all out of the temple area. He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables, all while coming to his temple, his physical temple. Brothers and sisters, do, do not get this twisted. The, the buck did not stop with those selling the ox, oxen, as it says, or sheep or, or the doves. That's not where the buck stopped. The buck didn't stop with the money changers. No, because the buck, the buck always stops with the religious leaders. The buck stopped with the priests. That was the problem because, see, at the end of the day the only way that these money changers were able to do what they were doing, the only way that those who were selling the sacrifices were able to do what they were doing was because the priests allowed it in the first place. There's a lot of modern day pastors pulling the same shenanigans as these priests in the temple. See, I remember doing an internship at a church when I was in seminary And I really didn't know much at the time, but I was starting to come into an understanding of the gospel. I'd probably only been discipled a year, year and a half prior to. Found myself in seminary. Found that I had to do an internship. I'm doing this internship at this church. And I'm starting to realize that things weren't adding up. And then I realized that, wow, men preach from other men's books. And then just recently... Saw an ad on social media, geared for somebody probably like me who's in this pastoral game, so to speak, saying you can purchase these sermon series and we'll do the artwork for you. We'll write the sermons. The only thing I would have to do is spend the church's money here, purchase all these sermon series ideas, and then just you know kind of tailor make them for you in our area, tweak this or that, and then you know everything's ready made, looks good because all the graphics will be done for us. The sermon's already been written for me. I mean, you know, life would be on easy street, and then the church would flip the bill. But the problem with that is, and it's just amazing to me, is like you're going to advertise something like that, but whatever happened to the Bible? Why, why, Why do I need somebody else to, you know, tell us what we need to be preaching from when God's already given us His Word? I mean, there's a reason why we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. I mean, I don't want to be cute and clever and try to, you know, be Mr. Entertainment for you each and every Sunday. That would be exhausting. I don't think I would last very long. It's far easier to just open up God's Word and exegete the text, allow the text to say what the text says. Now, I remember even sitting with that pastor who would preach from other men's books and do sermon series off a book. He would take a book, read the book, and make me you know, do a five-week sermon series off this book. And the crazy thing was, they had a bookstore at the church selling the exact books that he was preaching from, and nobody knew the difference. That was crazy to me. How was it that people could go to this church, maybe or maybe not, purchase the same book from the bookstore then listen to the pastor preach from that book and not know that he's actually plagiarizing. And even, who even cares if he's plagiarizing? Just straight up not preaching from the Bible, because I think that's worse. I'd rather see somebody plagiarize another man's work than I would for somebody to not preach God's word. See, why, why do we do this and what's the connection? We do this because we want to keep people coming We want people to be entertained. We want them to hear what they want to hear. And if you ask me, what are you really doing? See, you're circumventing from the gospel from being preached. The only way that the gospel can truly be preached is if we allow God's word to preach his gospel. Now, he's going to work through men. Just last week, Pastor Jared preached. This week, I'm preaching. We have different men who teach here. Mike taught Sunday school last week. He's going to use us and our personalities. Pastor Jared, when he preaches, it's a breath of fresh air for most of you. It's a break from hearing me. His perspective, his style is so different. And it's the same for anybody who's in this pulpit. So I'm okay with that. That has nothing, you know, anything that I would say that would be insignificant. But what is significant is the fact that whether or not you're actually preaching God's word and you're preventing people from hearing the true gospel, and this is what's happening in the temple. The money changers, those selling the oxen, sheep, and doves, they are the ones who are getting between those coming to worship the Lord and the Lord Himself. See, this is the same thing that's happening in our church today. When we we don't preach from God's Word, we're preventing this from happening. And what did Malachi say? What was it that he said? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's the same thing that John's saying that Jesus is clearing away. Jesus is cleared away. These pastors are just like the priests in the temple, they're the gatekeepers. So, if Pastor Jared and myself and the rest of the elders here at Villa's Grace want to participate in such shenanigans, then we're really getting in the way between you and the Lord. That's not our intentions. It's your personal relationship with him. It doesn't go through us. It goes through Jesus, the one who has cleared the way. The same priest who allowed the sale of sacrificial animals and allowed the changing of foreign currency would probably proclaim this though. They'd probably have an excuse. If we could travel back in time and ask them, they would say, oh, it's all done with good intentions. Oh No, 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 it's all done. We're just facilitating the worship of God. We're just providing a service for them because they have to travel so far and they need to change their money and they need to be able to purchase an oxen. And and they can't travel with that oxen. So in their minds, they fooled themselves. But I would say the modern day pastor has done the exact same thing. We're only promoting spiritual growth. I mean, what is that? What's your definition of spiritual growth? Again, how can you preach from a book that you sell in the bookstore in the church and then as somebody who goes to that church not even know that your pastor is actually preaching from that book that you probably bought and have read yourself? See, the only way that I know that we know that what is being preached is from the Word of God is if we know and study the Word of God ourselves. This reminds me of the words of Dyke who said this, and this has everything to do with what we just said about the priests and the pastors. No pretense of good ends can justify that which is forbidden by God. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. Why do you come to church? Why? Why is it that you got up this morning and decided to come to church? Do you come because you're devoted? Do you come because you're willing to self-sacrifice? Because you know where devotion and self-sacrifice leads, don't you? When you're devoted to a church and you're willing to self-sacrifice for your local church, you know where it leads, and I can say where it doesn't lead. It doesn't lead to pockets lined with ill-gotten gains. It doesn't lead to that. No, it's not that at all. Brothers and sisters, it leads to discipleship each and every time. It leads... To followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus, which is why we say here at Villa's Grace, that's exactly what we want to accomplish. We want to be followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus. So as we continue on to verses 16 and 17, in verse 16, I'm confident that everything said today is 100% true because of what is stated in verse 16. I just want to read it again. It says, And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away from here. Stop making my father's house a place of business. Our Western culture has made our father's house a place of business. Christian music, Christian books. I mean, you can go to the life-centered Christian bookstore down the road or Christ-centered, whatever it's called. I guarantee you, you could take 80% of all the content, throw it in the ocean and miss nothing, maybe 90, maybe even close to 100%. Why? Because we're making our Father's house a place of business. Because I have some new ideas, so I'm going to write a book to help you get to Christ. No, you don't go through me. You go through the Lord. And we studied in John 1 that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. So why would we go through anybody else? None of this is new. None of this is new. It's just been rebranded, repackaged, remarketed, and given to you to purchase. The temple is for worship and prayer, not business. And we know that's very clear from this text. Worship and prayer is perfect union with the Father. But we also know from Mark chapter 11, verse 17, that this is true as well. This will be on your screen. Mark eleven seventeen says this, And he began to teach and say to them, It is not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. We need to wake up. We need to wake up. If this was going on 2,000 years ago, I mean 2,000 years plus, if this was going on when Mark is talking about this, before the church became the church, we know that it's going on in the church. It was going on in the temple. The physical temple, it was going on in the physical temple. So you best believe it's going on in the church, too. We need to wake up and understand the true gospel. The worst compliment you could ever give me, the worst compliment you could ever give Pastor Jared, Pastor Steve, Pastor Israel, is to start off a sentence by saying, well, Pastor Matt says, who cares what Pastor Matt says? Who cares what Pastor Jared says? We only care about what the Lord says. Anything that we ever say should direct you back to His Word. If the temple was being commercialized, we best believe, like I said, it's being commercialized today. So what do you think is happening in that church today, or our church today? Everything that we see, these verses combine, because these verses are actually combining Isaiah 56:7 and Jeremiah 7:11. I mean this goes back. Those are notes that you can take. You can write those two verses down and read them. Isaiah 56:7 and Jeremiah 7:11. That predates the church over 800 years. That predates the coming of Christ by 800 years. This stuff is not new. Now notice how it says a house of prayer for all nations. It's as though Jesus has symbolically cleared the way for us Gentiles. A house of prayer for all nations. That's us. It's not just about the Jews. It's the Jews and the Gentiles. Again, remember in Malachi 3.1 it said, Behold, I am sending my messenger, and he will clear a way before me. There's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. Now, here's the difference for us. Brothers and sisters, the physical temple is what's being described here in John today. But we need to understand something. We are the temple today. We know this from God's word. 1 Corinthians 6.19 states this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? The Holy Spirit within us convicts us of sin in order to clear the way for a relationship with Jesus. So again, I don't care what a ministry looks like from the outside. I care what a ministry looks like from the inside. A ministry could look great from the outside, but that ministry could be preventing people from God. And we've already seen what Jesus did with the money changers. I mean, he made a cord. He cracked that whip. He overturned the tables. We know what God's word says in Revelation 19 when Jesus comes again. He comes back making war with men to put an end to sin. I don't want to be accused of being a roadblock between people in their worship of God. Our continued repentance facilitates our union with the Lord because of His Spirit being within us. Our continued repentance is because of that Holy Spirit Himself. He is the one who does this work. So let's go back to verse 17, and it makes perfect sense that it says this, His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, as Joe comes up, I'll define the word zeal. Zeal means fervor for a person or eager desire. Jesus is consumed with fervor for you individually. Each and every one of us, he is consumed with a passion to be in a relationship with us individually. He has a fervor. He has an eager desire to clear the way of anything necessary in order to be in that relationship with us, to eradicate the obstructed path of sin that hinders a relationship with him. As our creator sustainer, Jesus is consumed by his house and he has put his spirit within us Brothers and sisters, Jesus' zeal eliminates religious authority. Zeal for your house will consume me, this word says. It means to have continued, uninterrupted access to God the Father because our faith in Jesus and because of this faith, God has put His Spirit in His temple, the temple of our hearts, which houses the Holy Spirit. Again, Zeal for your house will consume me. And that's the reason why we stated this as our main idea this morning. We have access to God because Jesus cleared the way. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your zeal. I pray as a church that we can continue to learn how to take advantage of your spirit living within us. Use us, Lord, as a collective unit to be able to share our faith with others so we can expand your kingdom through your work. Use us as those messengers as you desire. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com dot com.